0: Happy Fourth of July to you! Today is the Fourth of July, and well, it was just it just happened. And as a nation, uh, we celebrate our independence and our freedom, uh, based on a, a document called the Declaration of Independence. And in it, we asserted that we were politically free from England, no taxation without representation. And even today, uh, America is known worldwide as a place of freedom. And from our time in Japan, um, I can tell you that the thing the Japanese envy the most about America is personal freedom. With all our problems, America is still by far um, the best, a, a great place to live. <clears throat> well. The Bible tells us that in our fallen human state, we as humankind all willfully signed a spiritual declaration of independence from God. We chose to live in sin because we like it. We all said no thank you to God. The title this morning is The Freedom and the Bondage of the Will. That's a mix or taking from work of Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards, and the whole point is um, who chooses, who does what, <clears throat> who is able and who is not to choose. So our text is Romans 6, uh, 15 through 23, so let me read it, page uh, 943 in your pew Bible. What then? I should say, the what then uh, refers to what he's been saying before about the amazing thing that grace is that we sang about. And some people were saying, this is great. Um, Grace covers our sin. The more we sin, the more grace we get. So let's sin a lot because God will be really, really glorified if we sin that much more. And so he anticipated, good teacher that he is, he anticipates that question and says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and the lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free, in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. And Father, in uh, <clears throat> these moments before you on this Lord's Day, with our Bibles open and our minds open to you and your spirit, would you please help us and teach us? Would you strengthen us? Uh, would you give us more grace so that we might learn more about you and not just learn but to do more and to live as those who are followers of Christ? And so to that end, for our good and your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if, if we, in our natural-born state, signed a spiritual declaration of independence from God, if, if we, at our heart and our root core desires, said, no thank you, some of us did it with cl- fists clenched and shaking the fist, and some were very polite but said the same thing, no thank you. If that's the case, then how did we get here this morning? How did we come to a place of loving God and his word and his people? Why is it that now, when we hear the great doctrines of grace, why does a lump come to our throats? Why does Monday, Thursday or Easter, or Christmas mean so much to us. How did we get from God-haters to God-lovers? Why and how did I get free from my sinful state and choose Christ? And we want to say, we do choose Christ. As you hear this this morning, you might think, he seems to be saying, we don't choose, but we do. We really do choose Christ. It's a free True choice. I made it on my own on the second Tuesday of October in 1981. Uh, No one twisted my arm. Um, And so my main point up front is God regenerates our wills, which were completely dead, and that frees us to choose good. So we've seen the, the context here of... Paul's teaching. I uh, mentioned it earlier. Some people heard that uh, free grace covers sin. Grace takes the penalty of sin. Great, it's covered. Let sin more. That was the point of the fire extinguisher illustration weeks or months ago um, where if if you get a fire extinguisher because you can now start fires because you have a fire extinguisher, The guy that invented fire extinguishers would say, no, that's not what I had in mind. I wanted there to be less fires, not more. And so Paul is saying to the people here, if you think God gives you grace so that you can sin more, you badly misunderstand the function of grace. The point of grace is so that we sin less, not more. So your will was made free so that you choose good, not evil. And if you persist in choosing evil, as Hebrews tells us, uh, you'll prove that your will is still in bondage to sin and you were never converted if that becomes the whole pattern of your life. So our first point, there's a three-point outline there in your bulletin. The first point is we do the things we do because we want to. We do the things we do precisely and only because we want to. And you came here today because you wanted to. Now, maybe some of the younger folks among you might say, no, my parents made me. But as soon as you're out from under them, maybe you're planning to stop coming. Well, that would be your ultimate choice. And that decision will mark your life. You might be temporarily hindered by your parents, by someone right now, but you'll make your own choice. So, and adults, we should say too, an adult might say, I go to work because I have to. My choice is to stay home and relax. Now, you're free to stay home. No one is twisting your arm but you made a higher choice because you believe you need to provide for your family and you like air conditioning and you like food and vacations and so you exercise your free will and you go to work. So all, all that we choose, we do it for a reason. We do it because we want to. And we choose in light of our conscience, things that tell us that's right or that's wrong, our inclinations, what are we sort of bent towards, and just our own thoughts. But we choose because we want to. Talking in verse 19 there about, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And we should remember Adam in the garden. Notice too, even then, that Adam offered himself to God before the fall, by choice, and he offered himself to evil after the fall, by choice. So you're a willing slave to one or the other, but willing, and you want, either or. He chose good before the fall that he willed to and chose to, and he chose evil for the same reason. Afterwards, he chose to. So we're free moral agents uh, in regard to choice. Either way, there's no arm twisting. And this is getting at the point here. It's just that the will governing the choice is now vastly different. We choose according to the condition of the will. And the will to do good was lost at the fall. No one seeks God naturally in their natural-born condition. There's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And so that raises a second point, short of the glory of God. When we said in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the question naturally arises of how far short all the way. Sinful human nature wants to say, to to be sort of deferential to God, but not fully take responsibility. A human might say, oh yes, I'm sinful. I'm well beyond uh, 90% sinful. I'm pretty very bad and need Christ. And some days, on bad days, I think I might even be 95% sinful. No, the Bible says 100%. In other words, there's no spark of good in man. In his natural state, original sin means we're completely dead. Ephesians 2.1 says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Not 95% dead, not 99 or even 99 point anything, but dead. I'm probably going to reveal my age. How many of you remember the ivory soap commercials? Do you remember a percentage? That's it. They thought they were really pure. (laughs) They said ivory soap is 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure. Now, why not 94? Why not 45 100s percent? Where do they come up with that number? I don't know. But they're saying ivory soap is really, really pure. But it's not 100% pure. And so we want to switch that to the other end of the spectrum and say you are not 99 and 44 100s percent sinful. You're 100% sinful. There's a story of... I can't remember if it's um, Covenant Seminary or uh, Westminster West in California, but the preaching professor, story goes, um, led the students through preparing a sermon, told them how to do that, and this is all to prepare to actually, they would come up one at a time and give their sermons to the class, had to do four or five during the course, and the story is that for the first one, they're all ready, they come to class, they're ready to preach. And he puts them in a van, fifteen or so of them, and drove to a cemetery and made them stand there in front of the tombstones and preach. <laughs> I never forget hearing that, we when you are speaking to a non-believer about the things of Christ, you are preaching to tombstones. Put another way, you cannot elicit a response of any kind from a corpse. I was converted in a non-reformed, broadly evangelical, Arminian setting and the altar calls that I heard, (coughs) the offers of... believe in Christ, I'll give you two examples that come from this thinking, this um, almost 100% thinking. You are drowning in a lake, going up and down and choking and gagging and spitting water, going down for the last time, you're in 20 feet of water, and God comes by in a rowboat. And he tosses out the life preserver of Jesus Christ on a rope. And he says from the boat, will you take it? Now, what's wrong with that if you're 100% dead? You're not struggling in the water. God, yeah, comes in a rowboat, but he sends Jesus to the bottom of the lake to drag your cold, dead carcass up into the boat and breathe new life, doesn't revive you makes you a whole new, living, breathing person again. You hear the difference? It sounds gracious enough, doesn't it? Because I'm really hurting here. I'm struggling and I need help. Yes, more than you know. A second illustration is you're sick in the hospital. You're up on the eighth floor cancer ward and you're dying, gasping. You're not gonna make it through the day and miraculously, a drug is found that will save you, and the doctor runs into your room with his bottle, and he pours it into the spoon, and he holds it this far from your lips and says, will you drink it? And that's how they made their appeal to believing in Christ. Same thing, what's wrong with that? You're not on the eighth floor. You're in the basement in the morgue, dead. You can no more respond to take that sip of medicine and a dead person can. Point being here, you cannot reason a spiritual corpse into the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus said you must be born again. You're already born physically, and that, this is confusing to us sometimes, or distracting, because the The people that are tombstones are actually walking around doing fine, uh, have good jobs, making money, doing good stuff, raising families, uh, seem to be great people. But that's all physically. This is saying what's going on inside, in the mind, in the heart, in the will that they're dead. But being physically alive and doing good things, that's not enough for the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again another whole thing not just fixed up old thing and that raises the question here today are you born again have you confessed your sinfulness and your sins both the sins come from your sinfulness and have you received forgiveness through the work of Christ Do you identify freely and lovingly with the body of Christ, the church, or are you a spiritual chameleon changing your story to suit those around you at the moment? If you're not, I would beg you to trust Christ today. Speak to someone after. We would love to talk to you about that. But you must be born again. And unless you're redeemed, now back to the text, unless you're redeemed you will continue to choose evil through all eternity. As someone once said, um, God sending someone to hell is just granting their wish for independence in this life for all eternity. They said, no, thank you. Their whole life here. And the natural consequence, spiritually natural consequence of that is hell and judgment. So... This this is a very important distinction. Our ability, talking about the natural man, our ability to choose good was not lost at the fall. Our desire to choose it was lost. It's the bent and the condition of the fallen heart that is the problem. You probably heard Jeremiah 17, 9. I'll read it to you, or it's... um, page 645 um, in the English Bible I got it marked here or page 722 in the Spanish Bible You've, you've heard this verse it has three parts the heart is deceitful above all things desperately sick who can understand it deceitful above all things which means I will lie to you about the way things really are. I will deceive you. It is desperately sick, secondly, which means it's beyond cure, which means it won't ever get better. It's going to be that way. And the third thing says it's not understandable. Who can understand it? Can't figure it out logically. It defies description rationally that your heart should do that. So this means the fallen heart cannot be relied upon to make a good moral decision, only bad. You realize that? The, the only spiritual moral barometer that you have, born with, you, that you're born with, is suspect. It's suspect. It can't be trusted. That's the condition of your heart. Beyond cure, I hate it when people say this, 101% bad. Just say 100. Just, you don't have to say 200 or 250. It's completely bad. So the ability to choose good wasn't lost. The desire to choose it was. We need to think about this. Uh, the, the chooser mechanism works great. It's in fine shape. The one running the chooser is the problem. you think about your remote control, the remote works fine. All the buttons, when you push the button, it does what it's supposed to do. The batteries are fresh. The infrared sensor works fine between the remote and the device. They're all in perfect working order. It's the mind and the heart of the guy pushing the buttons that's the problem. And when the will is set free by God and chooses Christ, it's all the more glorious because the person now uses that for good. Verse 18 says, having been set free. That's the passive voice. This is something that happens to you by God. You can't set yourself free. <clears throat> and That means you need outside help. You don't need someone to take the remote out of your hand, although that might not be a bad idea. Um, You need someone to change your thinking about what you're watching. That's what the gospel does. But unless God intervenes with the gospel, it will go from bad to worse. Verse 19, left unchecked, this is what happens. I'm um, in the middle towards the end of verse 19. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. That's the natural born condition. Lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. This, is, this means that dead things certainly don't get alive. In fact, if anything, they get deader. They rot. This is progression going from dead to the resulting decay that comes as a result of that. This might remind you of Romans 1. Paul's talked about a few chapters, six chapters earlier. Um, Romans 1, 18 and following, he says, people in their natural-born condition suppress the truth. They deny it. So you can see a progression. They suppress it first, then they deny it. Then verse 32, they even at the end of that long, horrible progression of sin, it says they even egg others on in worse sins. They cheer evil on. Going to Gold's Gym and working out how to cheer on evil more. So you have thieves cheering on murderers. And this is the fallen human condition. So it's here that we, back to our main subject, this is where we disagree as Reformed folks and Biblical, I believe, um, we disagree with free will advocates. Those who think that um, evangelism is an appeal to the heart, like those illustrations I gave, that man is free to choose Christ or reject him. And God merely makes the offer, but then he steps back. And so that would to me, have the situation that um, God is sovereign in everything except the most important decision in life. He just steps back. Well, if God just steps back, no one would choose to believe. They must be regenerated first, then they believe. One of the big mantras or... um, Mottos of the Reformed faith is regeneration precedes faith. You have to be regenerated first, then you will believe. The free willers have it the other way and say, believe first. God sees that, and then He regenerates you because of your choice. So in that system, you have dead things choosing to come alive. Free will. Advocates attack us by saying it's not fair. Election's not fair because there are people lined up outside heaven's door banging on the door saying it's not fair, I'm I'm not elect and I can't get in. But original sin, the hundred percent, says there's no line. Not one person. They've all chosen based on their heart's desire. Chooser works fine, but they've chose their heart's desire to run away. This means that sinners in a fallen state can't find and don't seek God for the same reason criminals can't find and don't seek police officers. We had um, three policemen in our former church, and I asked one of them, just so that I could say in the sermon that I asked, So when you go out to your police car in the morning and go to work, is there a line of criminals standing there with their wrists offered waiting for the cuffs? And he says, not yet. (laughs) He he said, "Um, I have to go find them. They don't come to me, he said, and start a conversation about what they did last night. For the same reason, there's no line of people, sinners, at heaven's door banging on the door saying it's not fair. If anyone ever says that to you, if someone says, I want to be elect, but I'm not, say, you want to be elect? And if they say yes, say, you're elect. Only an elect person would say that. Come on. Now, in a narrow sense, in a certain sense, free willers are right. We do choose Christ. And we shouldn't denigrate that in our desire to elevate the choice of God. We do choose Christ. There's no coercion, there's no arm twisting at all. We just disagree on why we choose, on what led up to the decision. There's nothing in fallen man that would ever cause him to want to choose God, just the opposite, in fact. But when God, by sheer grace, saves us, regenerates us, we, verse 17, we become obedient. From the heart, we become such that we wholeheartedly want to obey. Well, that brings us to the last point. Thirdly, indeed, it is grace, not duty, which compels us to holiness. Verse 22, now that we have been set free, passive again, the benefits of that lead to holiness. The fruit you get from having been set free leads to sanctification, growth in Christ. Our anniversary is December 29th, so can you imagine it's our anniversary, and I get a dozen roses, and I say, Happy anniversary, sweetheart. These are for you. And she says, Thank you. And I say, It's okay. It's my duty. She would do more than that. She would would tell me where... No, I won't say that. I can't say that. She'd say, you can keep the roses. She doesn't want my duty. She wants my delight in her. She wants the tokens of my affection and my affection. She wants both, and God wants both. He wants our obedience and our free will affection. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says um, Christ's love controls us. Another translation says Christ's love compels us. And it's because we know that he died for all who believe and that we're not living for ourselves anymore. We no longer, the verse goes on to say, we no longer bear the awful load of sin. If Jesus did not bear 100% of it, if he only bore 99 point anything, how will you ever bear even that smallest bit? James says if you keep the whole law except in one tiny point, you're still in the category of lawbreaker. In other words, it's all or none. It's either grace or works if you contribute the tiniest bit toward your salvation, you're in the category called works. Saying you as a dead man chose the grace and salvation of God while he stood back with his arms folded and watched is not only absurd, it's rank arrogant pride. If he... You're saying that he made the offer and stood back and waited for you to make the decision while dead in sin. That's nothing but pride. And are you really going to say that on judgment day? To, to push it a little bit further, if God only makes the offer but waits and doesn't do anything about it, and you're praying, what should we say, you're praying for Uncle Bill to be converted, and you're kneeling by your bed, and you're praying, and you say, God in heaven, please save Uncle Bill. In that situation, God is kneeling beside you, saying, I hope he chooses too, because I'm out of the loop. Why would God leave the most important decision in the universe up to the created thing? So, so what? So if it's 100% loving, gracious choice on God's part and all sin and misery and death on yours, how do you understand verse 22? How does verse 22 make you feel? But, that's R.C. Sproul's favorite word in the Bible, but, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. How do you take that? What's your response to that? Thank you. My whole life long, thank you, God. So there's your motive, your, your changed motive. I'm free to choose God today, and it's not just resetting things to neutral. I am positively disposed now, compelled, as that verse said, by electing, freedom-giving, grace to choose God wholeheartedly with no reservations and no balking. So you see now what you're free to do. Live a holy life for the right reason without coercion. Because you should? No, because you want to. And you can by God's grace. Only a will that's been set free is able to choose righteousness freely and heartily. So we do have something to celebrate today, don't we? We are not saying that election forces and violates our free will. God's sovereign electing regeneration of us sinners doesn't violate our wills. It changes them sets us free from slavery. It would be very strange to call the election liberating of an enslaved will a violation of freedom. Not that at all. We're motivated to holiness and good works because we rest our confidence in the knowledge that our salvation is of the Lord and those whom the Son will make free shall be free indeed. Indeed. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your mercy to us in Christ. Thank you for your sovereign electing grace. Thank you for giving us this free gift. Thank you for freeing our wills out of bondage to make unfettered choices for you. Would you help us grow in that? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.